Chapter Twenty Three of the Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One of the very few interesting things that Oscar Wilde said to me during that Christmas dinner at Tite Street in eighteen ninety four was in reference to the work he was doing, his playwriting. He said, It is far too easy. And indeed, what he wrote was written without labour, Corrente Calamo. The importance of being earnest, which George Moore spoke of as the wittiest comedy he had ever seen, was turned out in about a fortnight. He seemed to attach no importance at all to this part of his work, whereas, as regards Salome and Dorian Gray, on both of which he worked hard, he indicated the satisfaction that an artist feels at the successful accomplishment of a task which has demanded great sacrifices. For easy work, Wilde seems to have had as much contempt as Zola. He once disclaimed any desire to be a popular novelist. It is far too easy, he wrote. At the same time, he was certainly anxious to see Dorian Gray a popular success, and there is extant a letter of his to Messrs. Ward, Locke and Company, expressing this desire and suggesting means for booming the book. It distressed me to see that Wilde's success had not only not brought him any happiness, but seemed to have laden him with care and anxiety. There may have been hanging over him a sense of disaster, but the probability is that he was merely worried by his debts, for the large income that he was making by no means sufficed for his increased extravagances. He spoke with a certain amount of self-reproach, but to that one was accustomed. He seemed to think that a writer ought to be methodical and laborious, and earn his reputation with the sweat of his brow. Yet of the laborious and methodical he always used to speak with a certain contempt. He used to hold up Trollope as an example of what the man of letters should not be, and as to Sir Walter Besant, that businessman amongst novelists, he used to criticise in him the fact that he goes up to the city every day with a little bag. There is no doubt, too, that at this time Oscar Wilde was doing himself far too well. It occurred to me, more than once during dinner, that he was en route for a stroke of apoplexy. The veins in his forehead were swollen and pigmented, his breathing was oppressed, and his adiposity had enormously increased. I think it certain that his imprisonment prolonged his life, for it interposed two years of abstinence, and indeed when he came out of prison he was in greatly improved health. I never saw him looking better than one day when we were taking a country walk at Berneval, and I certainly never saw him looking worse than in his prosperity on the occasion of that last dinner in Tite Street. I had no communications from him in the early part of 1895. I knew nothing of the Queensbury business until I saw the account in the papers, and until then I had had no idea that there was any quarrel between Oscar Wilde and the Marquess. He had never said anything about it, indeed he had never mentioned Lord Queensbury's name. On reading the newspaper report of the proceedings at Bow Street, I was dismayed. The whole business seemed so utterly unlike 
what the oscar whom i had known would have engaged in some sinister influence had obviously been at work for a man who was so versed in parisianism to run to the police for protection against another gentleman ça ne se fait pas and this oscar wilde recognised and admitted when he had come to his senses in wandsworth jail nor was it difficult to foresee from the very first what was likely to be the outcome of a contest between a queensbury and a wilde between a nobleman of the most tremendous family interest and with the command of enormous wealth in the resources of his friends and relations and a writer who was in debt and had no resources beyond the production of his pen lord alfred douglas has described to me in a letter his family's influence as huge saying that he was going to try and get oscar out the letter was written when wilde was in jail he added that if he alfred douglas were in his family would very soon get him out as no doubt they would have been able to do i know that i was so distressed and alarmed at what i read in the papers that i broke a long silence and from paris sent oscar wilde a telegram of encouragement it was no use then to upbraid him i had no answer from him and i heard nothing about him except what i read in the papers he was evidently enjoying his role as a prosecutor and the huge publicity that attended it the utter unconsciousness with which he was acting at the time became apparent when it was announced that mr wilde had left england for a trip to monte carlo at the very time when he ought to have been in england preparing for a prosecution which he knew was to be nothing but his own defence against the most serious charges from the very first one noticed that public opinion was against him the magistrate at bow street police court who heard the case against lord queensbury mr newton from the first showed that he had little sympathy with the prosecutor on mr newton's own initiative lord queensbury was accommodated with a seat outside the dock and oscar wilde's answer to almost the first question that was put to him brought forth a rebuke from the bench in answer to the question are you a dramatist and an author wilde answered i believe i am well known in that capacity only answer the questions please came at once from mr newton in the meanwhile the magistrate had very properly ordered lord alfred douglas who had accompanied wilde to bow street in the carriage and pair to leave the court immediately before wilde signed his depositions he requested that a part of them should be read over again to him if you would just attend this would not have happened came testily from the bench i remember saying to a well-known londoner who was with me in paris when i was reading over the account of the police court proceedings i wonder why newton seems so down on oscar wilde perhaps he knows a bit was the ominous answer it was reported in paris that the monte carlo hotel-keeper to whose house wilde and his friend first went had refused to receive them i do not know whether this is true but the fact that the story was current shows what public feeling was everybody seemed to think and said so that wilde had encompassed his own ruin the marquess who till then had not been very popular became a hero it was a terrible time for wilde's friends even for those who like myself 
had not the slightest idea of what defence lord queensbury would put up and were ignorant of the way in which oscar wilde had compromised himself all the english journalists in paris exulted when the queensbury case broke down though i do not think that one of them knew oscar wilde or had any reason to wish him harm the parisians also showed little sympathy those were pre-alliance days and before the entente cordiale had been heard of and the french were never sorry when some scandal broke out in england to show the world that our vaunted british virtue was not what we professed even alphonse daudet most sympathetic and kindly of men who had a great friendship for me and knew of my affection for wilde did not hesitate to express the hope that severe justice might be done the english colony perhaps because they resented wilde's conduct in giving the french an opportunity to ridicule british morality was more than bloodthirsty i want to see this man get twenty years was a remark that i often heard long before wilde had been tried when wilde was sentenced and i had told the result of the trial to alphonse daudet who was then staying at brown's hotel in dover street he expressed great approval that shows the good sense of the english he said i have often wondered since whether the attitude of the trade and of the public towards the novel of his of which he was most proud and which he considered a moral lesson namely sappho a book which has been dramatized by kane and burned and set to music as libretto to an opera by massenet and which in england is considered an obscene book even more objectionable than most of zola's works would have modified this view of his of our national good sense only a very short while ago a bookseller in queensland was prosecuted and heavily fined for selling an english version of this book which daudet considered so much a moral lesson that he dedicated it à mes filles a dedication which it is true paris immediately paraphrased into à mes filles oscar wilde was much surprised and distressed to see how unpopular was his cause and what detestation of himself seemed prevalent i referred him for an explanation to one of the sayings of de la rochefoucauld who very aptly enunciates the instinctive maliciousness of men if one is always more or less pleased at the downfall of a friend how much more so will not one be at the disaster of a man who has outstripped everybody and who seems to be entering upon a career of unparalleled success not very long after oscar wilde had been released on bail i received a telegram asking me to come over to london to take wilde into the country i imagined that this message had a veiled meaning and crossed over at once but the telegram meant exactly what it said it was thought that it would be a good thing for wilde to go into the country or up the river or somewhere while awaiting his second trial and i had been selected to accompany him wilde apparently was unaware of the proposed arrangement and when i found him in bed in oakley street a nervous wreck he declared that he was far too ill to go anywhere the question of flight was mooted but it never had his sympathy i can't see myself slinking about the continent he said 
a fugitive from justice however he left the matter in the hands of his friends and one day there was a long consultation on the subject to which i was not admitted my own views being too well known and considered too anarchistic to be practical as this meeting was held at the house of one of the men who had backed stuart headlam when he bailed wilde and who had no desire whatever to lose the money he had at stake the decision was a foregone conclusion in spite of the fact that lord douglas of howick who was much more heavily involved had given wilde carte blanche to act as he thought best to his interests i saw a great deal of wilde during the period between tenth and twenty-fifth may spending most of my time in his company at oakley street he was in a terrible nervous condition and seemed to me to be sickening of some kidney trouble for his thirst was unquenchable and he was drinking all the time water milk and soda lemonade and other innocuous fluids though greatly preoccupied he kept himself in excellent control i never heard a recrimination pass his lips he was more than ever gentle and kindly to everybody who came into contact with him his considerate good-nature rose superior to the bitterness that his fate might have engendered i think he showed finer than i had ever seen him on the very last night of all the night of twenty-fourth may which preceded the last day of his trial there was an extraordinary calm and dignity about him his attitude while i admired it distressed me for he seemed to me to anticipate what did happen and what we all dreaded and acted like a man who is taking a last farewell of life his attitude in court during his last trial shows the enormous moral strength of the man before he went to the old bailey to surrender he was a complete wreck in court he showed himself as mentally active as ever sir t marchant williams records his impression that intellectually speaking wilde stood head and shoulders above the judges who tried him and the counsel who prosecuted him the impression that i received in court i only attended there on the last day was that a pack of mongrel terriers were worrying a wounded lion and i felt heartily ashamed of myself for being there at all we have from a man who was in court all through the last trial the following pen pictures of the prisoner on the succeeding days on may twenty second we read mr wilde reached the court early in company with his sureties and took a seat at first on the usher's bench below the jury-box opposite his leading counsel sir edward clark wilde looked haggard and ill and his hair which generally had a slight natural wave and was usually parted neatly down the middle was in some disorder indeed he looked so ill that a report was current in london on the wednesday a report which reached his friends at oakley street that he had been taken ill in the dock there was no truth in this and on the whole when wilde returned that night he seemed more cheerful and in better spirits than when he had left in the morning the next day he is described as quote, obviously much enfeebled and upset by the experience he had been through in the dock he sat with his head resting on his arms a position which bespoke unutterable weariness unquote. 
that was the day on which justice wills pitchforked shelley's evidence back to where it belonged and withdrew the charge connected with him from the jury this was a great score for the defence and annoyed the prosecution so much that the solicitor-general was heard to speak of mr justice wills in consequence as an old fool it is recorded that quote, excitement in court was intense when the judge intimated his intention of withdrawing from the jury the counts dealing with shelley which had been universally regarded as the strongest against the accused wilde for the first time sat up erect Unquote. that night we were all more hopeful at oakley street wilde though pleased that his innocence had been established on this count was terribly nervous about the cross-examination which he was to undergo on the morrow at the hands of sir frank lockwood i am not fit to be cross-examined he said to me sir frank will do what he likes with me he will turn me inside out i told him that he had nothing to fear and assured him that he would come through the ordeal as successfully and with as much credit to himself as he had done on the two previous occasions it is certain that he was looking very ill in court next day so much so that sir edward clarke was able to make a point by drawing attention to his condition the defendant he said in his opening speech for the defence broken as he is now as any one who saw him at the first trial must see he is by being kept in prison without bail contrary to practice and as i believe contrary to law will submit himself again to the indignity and pain of going into the witness-box unfit as he is after the ordeal he has gone through he will repeat on oath his denial of the charges which have been made against him wilde looked so poorly that sir edward asked for permission for him to be seated while giving his evidence Quote, his voice at the first trial so full and confident had become hollow and husky he seemed glad to lean over the front of the witness-box for support Unquote. when sir frank lockwood rose to cross-examine him wilde stood up he looked so ill that even sir frank took some pity on him don't rise please unless you wish he said but wilde remained standing i can hear better he said after a very short time however he sank back into his seat the cross-examination it is needless to say was protracted and pitiless the treasury was out to kill and poor wilde was as they say in arizona their meat the whole of this last trial was not creditable to the english administration of justice sir edward clarke had plenty of reason for his complaints about its unfairness the device of trying taylor first was obviously intended to prejudice the second jury against wilde otherwise why did the treasury so strongly insist on the prisoners being taken in that order charges were brought against wilde which even the judge stigmatized as unfair mr justice wills though it may be said that on the whole he impartially tried the case certainly did not conceal which way his private opinion went it was remarked writes a man who was present during the trial in more than one instance that the judge 
while placing two issues before the jury in fair enough language yet imparted in his delivery his tones and his manner a significance which deprived his statements of that appearance of impartiality which is usually expected of the bench very possibly he felt his own intellectual inferiority to the prisoner at the bar and resented it he certainly went out of the way to boast that he had not been at the university and that he could not see the extreme beauty of wilde's language he was very ferocious in manner when passing sentence and seemed to spit his words out at the prisoners at the same time he was obviously in a very nervous condition i heard that directly after the trial so greatly had the details of it shocked him he was taken seriously ill and had to go away for a rest and change during that period he received from abroad a number of insulting postcards from one of wilde's friends who may have hoped to serve the prisoner by insulting the judge i was in court on the last day of all i arrived just after the summing up i asked a barrister friend of mine how wills had gone and he said most deadly dead against the prisoner he added that all chance was lost still as i wrote some years ago the jury were a long time in discussion and each minute strengthened hope after a long while two hours we heard a bell an usher came bustling in and a great silence fell upon the buzzing court it was the silence of a beast of prey which to seize its victim opens a yawning mouth and perforce suspends its roar but it was a false alarm the jury had sent a question to the judge it had been reported that the tenor of this question prompted sir frank lockwood to remark to sir edward clarke you'll dine your man in paris to-morrow i was sitting directly behind the solicitor-general and what he did say was that means an acquittal but sir edward shook his head mournfully no 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 he said thus do they compliment each other i whispered to my neighbour the treasury council overheard my remark and turned round with a mighty face suffused with joviality he was amused no doubt to find that a layman appreciated at their just value the little compliments which advocates pay to each other but i had heard that kind of prediction before i travelled up to town with montague williams and the attorney-general on the last day but one of the lefroy murder trial at Lewes. williams had made his speech for the defence you've got that fellow off said mr attorney and no no said williams wait for the judge i thought that lockwood seemed a very jolly fellow and i could not understand the animosity with which he had conducted the prosecution i understood it still less when i heard afterwards that sir frank lockwood was a personal friend of oscar wilde a frequent visitor to his house and that he had been there even after the libel proceedings had begun i did not of course know that one of the men whose name was frequently mentioned as being an associate of the prisoner was a nephew of sir frank lockwood the jury deliberated for over two hours and finally brought in a verdict of guilty on every single count 
a glance at their faces had been sufficient to tell me which way they'd gone i noticed that while they were taking their seats the judge's hand shook as in a palsy as he arranged his papers on the desk then he fumbled in one of his pockets he's looking for the black cap whispered some wag behind me and indeed it was a death sentence a sentence of cruel death that he was about to pronounce i looked at poor oscar when the judge was passing sentence and his face was what i shall never forget Quote, it was flushed purple the eyes protruded and over all was an expression of extreme horror when the judge had finished speaking and whilst a whirr of satisfaction buzzed through the court wilde who had recovered himself said and i may i say nothing my lord but the judge made no answer only an impatient sign with his hand to the warders these touched my poor friend on the back he shuddered and gave one wild look round the court then he turned and lumbered forward to the head of the stairs which led to the bottomless pit he was swept down and disappeared Unquote. that same evening at wandsworth jail there was a struggle between a convicted prisoner and the warders who wished to force him to take a bath in filthy water that prisoner was oscar wilde End of chapter 23